Continues, yours truly, Curtis Lewa. You can hear in this uh, vacation week for some, not all. Almost nonstop, 24-7-365, where the acronym WABC stands for Always Broadcasting Curtis. And it certainly does this week, but here's my regular slot. The Rip and Read, in which I've been joined all week by my wife, Nancy. Hello there who is also featured on the Animal Welfare Hour that you hear every week from Sunday night, 10 to 11. It will now be nationally syndicated at the beginning of the year from coast to coast. So thanks again, uh, Nancy, for jumping on board. Thank you for having me, Curtis. Well, you were with us yesterday when we ran downstairs when the uh, steam pipe blew and asbestos fibers were flying. Well, that was before we knew that it was asbestos fibers. We're taking a video. We're having lunch. That's right. And people are just walking by. Nobody knows what's going on. I know the difference in all the different uh, asbestos fibers. There's six different types of asbestos. If it happened to be blue, um, Diego, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. Uh, But it's not that type. And it's a total overreaction. And Midtown is still tied up. What's the street? It basically has been like Death Valley today. Yeah, so yesterday it was um, on 3rd Avenue in the, you know, 50, 53rd. Now it's one block over to the west side on Lexington and the same exact street. So between 50th and 54th, everything shut down. So totally overreacted to. I was talking with Con Ed people early in the morning, and they're looking at me and saying, this is not our call, Curtis. This is City Hall. And we saw a number of workers out there in full hazmat gear, visors, Playtex gloves, masked up, couldn't speak English at all. So I guess they hired them from the Roosevelt Hotel. And this is the same kind of that's going up twice in, in rates by next year. So yeah, yeah, exactly. And they're wiping everything down. I said, guys, it's too late. This if is the, really what you're paying for, the quality service right here. Right. If the asbestos was in the air, people have already inhaled it and exhaled it. It's too late. But what the hell? The city has to act like, you know, they're on top of things, like they're going to take care of us. Where in reality, don't worry about asbestos flying in the air. This is not the type of asbestos that is going to harm anybody. More importantly, worry about the problems in our subways involving the emotionally disturbed, the homeless. And as we saw the headline grabbing attack 
uh, in Grand Central Station. But let's let's deal with first, Nancy, something you and I, we deal with all the time because we use the subways. A situation where you're sitting there, you're minding your own business, and somebody immediately just says to you, hey, lady, who are you looking at? Hey, who are you looking at? Yeah, this is great. I mean, I, I can't imagine a more New York-styled story that the problem is you were staring at someone. They didn't like the way you were looking at them funny. So this was a 55-year-old MTA worker. He's cleaning uh, the mezzanine. This is a six-train Cypress Avenue station. Middle of the day, 10.30, you know, total rush hour. And, you know, this uh, guy was on a phone. Then he winds up punching him in the face. Now, like, okay, so that's the, that's the situation. This happened December 8th. Now, what they have there is they have such incredibly good cameras that are on the platform itself. This picture could not have been clearer of the attacker. They waited three weeks to release it to the public, and still they, haven't, they don't have any leads on finding this guy. So, again, I mean, this is last year that Hochul signs this law increasing the penalties for MTA workers because all the great work they did during COVID, showing up for everybody – now it's going to be a crime if you attack them. Well, where's the outcry here three weeks later, and you're just getting around to putting out a picture? There's no follow-up. There are no transit cops. You can travel from one end of the system to the other end of the system. Uh, either they're in the witness protection program, they're hiding, but they're, they're just not any transit cops. Momentarily, we're going to discuss uh, how another city is pimping off of Eric Adams' ride by deciding we don't want cops, we want robots. Yeah, how's that working out at the Times Square station? But before we get into that, three weeks, this is an MTA worker, right? This is one of their workers who gets smashed in the face. They have video evidence of this. They could have put it out that night. They probably would have had a pretty good chance of some citizen seeing the person, identifying them, and making a collar. And they put it out three weeks later. I mean, and again, the the whole rush to... Um, you know, push all these technological uh, innovations. Oh, this is going to help us solve crime. Well, first of all, it didn't stop anything. It's not going to stop anything. But the only purpose it could serve, which is lo- uh, telling the public who this person is, and, and you have a clear picture. You could have been hanging up uh, pictures of this individual at that subway station. Chances are people are repetitively using the same station. Someone would have known him. They would have come home. They would have seen it. And this could have been handled several weeks ago. But it, it shows that how little priority there is. This is a felony now to assault an MTA worker. They're considered essential workers, and yet no priority. No, they don't even take care of their very own. So why would they take care of anyone who's stupid enough to pay the fare as we see increasing numbers of people conduct fare evasion? They're going under the turnstiles, over the turnstiles, through the emergency gates. 20% have chosen not to pay each day when they ride the subway, 40% on the buses. So that's why we're going to end up with congestion pricing just to offset that loss. Now, The big story of the day, back-to-back, belly-to-belly, the last three days. You had a guy who's paranoid, delusional, schizophrenic, bipolar disorder. His name is infamous now, Stephen Hutchinson. He's sitting in the top deck of Grand Central Station. They have some restaurants uh, that are open there. One is a French restaurant. It's 1130 in the morning. Uh, The staff asks him to leave. He's sitting in one of the seats. He says, I'll leave. I don't want the white man to get you. That should have been a signal right there. Like, huh? I'll leave. I don't want the white man to get you. 
So he walks around Grand Central like a lot of homeless and emotionally disturbed persons do, and he decides to come back, and he then sits down again, and he says, I'm sitting here because I don't want to sit with black people. I want to sit with crackers. Strike two, right? Me, 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 me. Crazy, crazy psycho here. You would think by then everybody would know this guy was dangerous, but this is so common in New York City now that you run across people who are delusional like this that some people don't even think twice. There happens to be a family that is in from Paraguay in South America enjoying their vacation, and the two uh, daughters, one is 16 and 14, he looks at him. Who are you looking at, white people? And bam, slashes both of them. Luckily, uh, they survived the ordeal. He's been captured. And now we learn the entire story of how this guy could have been clipped over and over and over and over again. But it's our own criminal justice system that kept turning him loose. Yeah, so he has apparently a history the past almost 20 years of uh, you know being arrested but specifically with an eye toward having um, a, you know, a mental ailment and um, breakdowns. So the most recent, we have November 7th, November 27th, December 5th. These are three separate instances in which the cops were called. Uh, he was outside a building in the Bronx. Um, in one time, he was outside the building on a fire escape, yelling, screaming. Three, both, all three of those times, the NYPD brought this uh, individual in for a psych evaluation, and he was released the very next day. So, again, to the point of saying, oh, Kendra's law, oh, we're going to have people evaluated even against their wishes. Well, apparently the evaluation system isn't sufficient because they keep cutting this guy loose. By the way, uh, Diego, you like Panera Bread? You like to go to Panera Bread? Yeah, yeah. You like that, Matt Meany, Panera Bread? Sure. This guy was behind the counter at Panera Bread recently selling you items at Panera Bread. Yeah. And, by the way, if you look at his Facebook, again, this is Stephen Hutchinson. No doubt he was a listener to uh, Frank Morano overnight here, the other side of midnight. He was into conspiracy theories, watching Malcolm X YouTube videos, war videos, and how to fight with a knife. Very instructional for a crazy guy out there who is desperately in need of help. When he was at Panera Bread working, he could get a coffee break. And he would say, Did, was the FBI just here? Did they put poison in my coffee? Do, 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 do. Well, you, would think, you would think fellow workers right then would have said, mm. we got a problem here. <laughs> nah, nah, finish your coffee break. Just go back to taking care of the customers at Panera Bread. Unbelievable. 17 arrests. And the judge who kept cutting him loose here he is, appointed by Eric Adams, Judge Matthew Greco, who uh, apparently against the wishes of the Bronx DA, Darcel Clark, who is as bad as Alvin Bragg. But even on this one, Darcel Clark said, you got to commit this guy to a psychiatric institution. Yeah, so this is even further along than the NYPD making that on-site analysis that someone needs to see uh, this type of professional. This person's before the court system. And to your point, the prosecutor is making this request, which is for no reason that makes any sense being denied by the judge. Because all the judge has to do is look at his history and the amount of times that he's been committed. So the fact that they cut him loose and then he went and did this, this is incredible. Won't take his meds, planned on killing his girlfriend five times. 
Five times he tried to kill his girlfriend. Doesn't matter. You know, the only time that he went to jail for a few days, 15 days, on Rikers Island, he walked into Bergdorf Goodman's, and he smashed a display case. Oh, that's it. You're going to jail forever. You walked into Bergdorf Goodman and smashed a display case. It didn't matter that you tried to kill people, that you tried to kill your girlfriend, that you think that you were being poisoned by the FBI when you were working at Panera Bread. None of that matters. But you walked into Bergdorf Goodman's and you smashed a display case. That's it. Triple life without parole. No. Actually, he got 15 days on Rikers. And he got released within two weeks to go out and do it again. I'd love to see the application he put into Panera Bread. Yeah, exactly. And what the responses were from his co-workers who felt, hey, he's a little titched. He's a little robot. What else is different about him from <laughs> yeah, other New Yorkers? Which manager look, said, this is a good hire right here. Oh, by the way, speaking of managers, uh, we're going to give you an update on the McDonald's where I made my bones and started the Guardian Angels in 1979, February, when I was a night manager. It has been permanently closed because it is it was so out of control. And I'm going to explain to you the measures that I, I use to keep it in control. That's coming up. But have no fear. For all of you who wonder why we don't have enough police, why the police are handcuffed, why they can't do their job, although let's give a shout-out to the Port Authority again, who expeditiously yesterday took less than a half hour to arrest 26 of the Hamas crazies who decided in a caravan to block the entrance to JFK in a car caravan. In less than a half hour, they had confiscated all the vehicles, towed them away, put everybody on a Port Authority bus that goes from terminal to terminal to make the arrest. And they did that within less than a half hour. And you can actually see the pictures. When they made arrests, all of the Hamas supporters were sitting on the curb, very docile, very placid, very unlike when they are with the NYPD when they're swinging and winging at them. But I will tell you the one thing, there is help on the way. First it was New York, now Denver. What is going to be the answer to hiring more cops, uh, Nancy? Well, I'm pretty sure it's robots at this point. Um, so we, everyone, I'm pretty sure, is aware of the robot that uh, wanders on the MTA subway, 42nd Street, which is only allowed out overnight and needs some security personnel to safeguard it while it's patrolling. But this isn't the first time. So now we have... Um, the precursor to this about a year ago, Denver parking, I'm sorry, yeah, Denver parking lots, they employed two of these, the same exact one. So this is the same company, the Nightscope company, where they look like the little R2-D2 thing. Sure. And then rolling around. Now, this one's a little more advanced than the one we have rolling around the subway because it can detect things like gunshot. It can detect fires. Um, it also warns people if they're hanging out too long in the the, the parking garage. Oh, you mean it, it warns them they're loitering? It, yeah, it, it does a countdown to tell you to get out. And if you're not out by the time the countdown's over, then it calls in its human counterpart. So, oh. Yeah, so this is now, now this, this is same exact company. This Again, this is the one that's that has a our, our one on MTA. When they first came out in 2017, they were patrolling in Washington, D.C., and it, it went into a fountain and it drowned. So it doesn't really have a good uh, past history. <laughs> this, apparently. So, Let's get this straight. The first prototype drowned in a fountain in Washington, D.C. The second prototype hired by Eric Adams instead of human cops 
is in Times Square behind police barricades protected by two uniformed cops because they're afraid that they'll vandalize it, graffiti it, and push it into an oncoming uh, train. So the better prototype is in Denver. Yes. Where if they see you loitering, they count down to 10. Yeah. And then they say, okay, we warned you. Now we're calling in the real police. I feel so much safer and so much better. Not up next, the racket of the migrant industry as personified here in New York City by Eric Adams and how he gets wine dined and pocket lined by companies and then gives out ancillary gifts to the friends of Eric Adams due to your generosity as taxpayers here in New York City. Hi, it's Ernie Anastas. You know, your thoughts can affect how you feel, and how you feel can impact your thoughts. Addressing your mind and body connection is the key to improving your overall wellness. Bergen Newbridge Medical Center is the largest hospital in New Jersey, providing comprehensive, equitable, compassionate, and high-quality emergency inpatient and outpatient medical care, plus mental health services and substance use disorder treatment. The Bergen Newbridge team can address your total health needs in one convenient location. Call 201-225-7130 for an appointment or newbridgehealth.org. Curtis Lewa. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC and Curtis Lewa. This is the Riffin Reed. Electronic dance music is the choice of the Sliwa household, the EDM. As personified here by DJ Diego here in the Bushwick Gardens here, spinning the stacks here, and the millennials are going crazy. But it is the music of the Sleeper household. And you received a very high compliment today from John Katsimatidis. He said that Michael Carey, son of you, Carey, the former governor, was very impressed in your broadcasting ability, Nancy. He actually announced it on the air because of all the breaking news you've been responsible for in this rip and read segment when you do the deep dive as an attorney, an e-attorney, where you you try to bring to the surface the racket that has become the migrant industry here in New York City through the Adams administration. Now there is another super shelter, mega shelter being built that will soon house illegal aliens, I think about 400, so it's a mega shelter, right on the Gowanus Canal in Brooklyn. And Nancy right away knew there was a lot of money being made here, a ripoff of us, the taxpayers. So can you break it down? Okay, sure. This is great. So this is the latest um, mega shelter humanitarian center for the migrants uh, right off of the Gowanus. Now, if anyone's familiar with the Gowanus, I actually lived in Sunset Park for many years. It's so toxic, the, the Gowanus Canal, it's been declared a super fund. So the um, air that's coming off, by virtue of how polluted the water is, it's cancer-causing. So there's been a lot of um, push in the past bunch of years where developers are trying to build there, and it's not being permitted because it's so dangerous. Well, now, lo and behold, we have this 403-bed uh, building that's an industrial area, 
a company named Bragg's Home Care. It just got an emergency contract. Now, their first contract to run shelters in the city started last year. They got, in October, a $4.5 million contract to turn a motel in Sheepshead Bay into um, a center for the migrants. And now here we are one year later, 11 contracts later, and $188 million. And now they're getting another contract in Guanas. Well, I'm familiar with the uh, no-tell motel in Sheepshead Bay that was converted. That has been a disaster. So their their first effort out of the box was fraught with problems. So now instead of them being told by the city administration, hey, you better get your house in order because you're not going to get any other contracts until you straighten out running that motel that is now housing migrants 24-7. Uh, the Peter Principle kicked in. They got kicked upstairs and they got even a better deal, right? Yeah, and, and keep in mind too now because these uh, contracts through the DHS – are still considered to be emergency contracts. They don't have to seek competitive bids, and the details aren't disclosed in terms of how much they're paying for this. So what we know is that they they penned a contract for at least two and a half years. It's set to go to 2026, and they but they're not saying how much it's going to cost, but we do know it's 403 people. And, again, just based on what they've uh, been charging so far, I think it's a as, as competitive rate. The humanitarian centers get about three times more than a regular shelter gets because supposedly all the additional services they're providing usually, like, little to none. But it, because there's no bids on the contract, we don't know what it's going to be. They'll sign a deal, and then the city's going to be stuck with it. So this is brick and mortar, not a tent, 400 migrants. Uh, males, I believe it is, single able-bodied males along the Guanas Canal, which is toxic to begin with. They tried to build uh, affordable housing there and were denied a permit because it was so toxic, right? They said you can't have human beings habitate there or stay there overnight. Yeah, and and what's great is here's where the, the, the scam definitely comes in. The previous owner, who had been trying for years for the conversion, doing all the the protocols, uh, trying to get all the permits being, uh, you know, denied, finally sold it this last year. And six weeks after selling it, they got uh, the new owners, who are, uh, by the way, on the list of worst landlords in New York City, got um, – they purchased it, and then they got this contract with the city. No, no, hold on a second. Worst landlords in New York City? I thought that's the list that's put out by the public advocate uh, – who claims that he's always out for watching out for tenants, watching out for the little guy. What is that? The public advocate who would like to become the next mayor of the city of New York over my dead body. Uh, what the hell is his name again? Oh, uh, oh, Jumani. Oh, Jumani Williams. That's right. So you would think he would be investigating this, right? Well, and yet this guy is getting the is making money off of this. Well, and what's funny is this is how they separate themselves from any form of responsibility. They say, oh, our contract is with Braggs, this nonprofit that has little to no experience managing the migrants. So, yeah, we're working with them, not with the owner of the building. So, yeah, that's not even our problem. It doesn't really matter who they are. But obviously they're directly connected. The the contract only came in six weeks after it was sold. So clearly they were waiting to award this contract until they got it into the hands of the right landlord, the slumlord. Ladies and gentlemen, this migrant situation is a racket. When the mayor claims that when all is said and done, it will cost a city taxpayers $12 million, look at who got the contracts, as Nancy described in these no-bid contracts. 
They are friends of Eric Adams. They are people who have donated to his campaigns. They have no proven track record. The biggest one that you busted a while back, uh, Nancy, in, uh, in addition to Project Veritas up in Washington, excuse me, in Westchester County, was Doc Go, a $432 million contract to provide services to migrants, something they had never done before, no bid contract, no transparency under the emergency orders, and the CEO, I kid you not, his name was Anthony Al Capone. Anthony Al Capone, who a month later had to resign uh, in a disgraceful manner because the Albany Times Union just did a background on him and determined he was like the George Santos of corporate CEOs. There was nothing true about this guy's life. Anthony Al Capone. And instead of the mayor saying, well, you know, we're going to have to review this contract. We're going to have to maybe reconsider uh, this, uh, you know, no cut, no bid contract for $432 million. He doubled down. He said, oh, it's not a CEO that makes a company. It's the people who work for the company. Yeah, and hearing his explanation of why we couldn't possibly change ships and go with another company, they were with us since the start. It was like six months. I mean, all they had to do was find someone else who was able to to provide these services. It's such a joke. It's such a scam. They run the Roosevelt Hotel. They have police officers who patrol in the area. They are uniformed police officers, two of them. They have been told by one police plaza they are not to make arrests. There has to be a warrant if they're to go inside, if they have to uh, grab anybody for, like, especially domestic abuse. There have been, like, over 500 attacks in the hotel against uh, migrants on migrants, mostly uh, men on women. And yet they walk around, they walk around and around. And when I've been there, you see me there many times, Nancy, you've accompanied me there. The cops tell me, I don't know why we're assigned this footpost. They don't let us do anything. We're not able to go in to the Roosevelt Hotel on our own if we think something is wrong. We're not able to make arrests. And only if they issue a warrant. Will a special police unit come and then go into the Roosevelt Hotel? But basically, we're not permitted to do our job. There are illegal Vespas and motorbikes all surrounding the Roosevelt Hotel. None of them licensed. None of them registered. And when we say we should seize these and bring them to Midtown South, City Hall tells us, leave the migrants alone. Leave the migrants alone. Up next, an end of an era. The Mickey D's that I made my bones in, and trust me, I rattled a lot of bones there in many fights uh, in the dining room area, has been closed by McDonald's Corporation because it was considered too violent of a McDonald's to keep running those Max Fries and Strawberry Shakes. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC and Curtis Lewa. Curtis doesn't know about you, but he rips and reads. This is the Rip and Read. Now, this is the music of here and today, 2023, going into 2024, EDM, electronic dance music. 
Yes. But now, we're taking you back to 1979. Summer of 1979. And if you were coming in to Mickey D's at East Fordham Road and Webster Avenue at night, you were staring at this McWhitey Whitey with my crew ready to throw down with you. It was a gang haven back then, East Fordham and Webster. You had the Savage Skulls, the Savage Nomads, the Black Spades. More gangs that I could count on fingers who would come in to test whether we're going to throw them out through the plate glass window, out the door, fight in the lobby. And this is while serving customers who were lined up for their Max fries and strawberry shakes. Oh, Big Mac's got to have my Big Mac attack. In fact, this McDonald's was so bad, Nancy, that they, you know, they, as part of a promotion, McDonald's, the corporation at that time in Oak Brook, now in Chicago, soon wants to leave Chicago back to Oak Brook, I wonder why, would send out Ronald McDonald. That's their image. Well, at this particular store at East Fordham Road at Webster, they said, we're not sending Ronald McDonald, we're sending the Hamburglar. And the kids were like, oh, we love the Hamburglar. We want the Hamburglar glass, the little Hamburglar figurines. It was the Hamburglar who was the iconic figure of the McDonald's that I was a night manager of in 1979 where I started the Guardian Angel. And the guy who taught me how to run a McDonald's so that you can maintain law and order was Don Chin, the mad Chinaman, who himself had been a savage skull. Imagine, Chinese guy, savage skull. Grew up in the projects with his brother in the South Bronx and was tougher than tough and taught me the way to survive. You could do it the Oak Brook, Ray Kroc, Ronald McDonald way. And then we'll give you a nice funeral and eulogy and we'll carry your casket out to the grave. Or you could do it the Don Chin way and prepare for battle. That's how difficult to McDonald's it was in 79. And it was so bad in 2023 that McDonald's, the corporation, made the decision to close it permanently because it was a gang haven, a haven for the emotionally disturbed, the homeless, prostitutes, drug dealers, dope fiends. It's now closed. It's closed. And you're going to read to us the most recent comments of the many, uh, of the many, uh, we'll call them clients, some of whom may have actually gone there when I was uh, the night manager 45 years ago. Give us an idea of the kind of service that McDonald's was giving at the Mickey D's that is now closed in perpetuity. Okay, so Karina says she was at this multiple uh, location multiple times. You never truly know what you're walking into. It could be a good day. It could be a bad day. Uh, homeless people walk up to you, people waiting to order, and ask them for money. And then when they forget things, they get defensive and yell at you that they forgot to put stuff in the bag. Isn't that nice? Uh one of the things, if you allow homeless people or the emotionally disturbed to stay in your lobby, to stay right outside of your counter, what do you think that's going to do to the, the the potential clients and customers that you have paying outrageous amounts of money for fast food, I might add? Oh, no, this is yeah, horrible. Okay, staff attitude stinks. 
the food matches their vibe. Warm fries, barely warm nuggets, and if you, you ask for fresher items, they get mad. Yeah, so if you ask for a special item, God forbid that they actually have to work. In fact, I used to scream at my staff, like Diego, right now, you're gold-bricking. You're a slacker. You're a deadbeat. You're staring at me because you're afraid that I'm going to Bradley Cooper you, uh, Leonard Bernstein you, because you, you you take your eyes off of me. In the Mickey D's, when I was in the the the, the uh, preparation area, you got time to lean, you got time to clean. Put a little speak and span into that. Clean, clean, clean. They don't do that anymore. Now, this one lady speaks about when she goes there, the children that come after school is the reason why it's a problem. No one wants to be toppled or disturbed while trying to eat their meal. No one's upstairs to ensure that the kids, it says the children are vulgar and extremely disrespectful. So apparently upstairs, like it's all bets are off. Anything could happen up there. Up the upstairs is a dining area. The kids would basically take it over. It was like uh, juvenile delinquents. <laughs> And, yeah, there'd be cursing, food fights up there, everything. You as a manager, you got to go up there. You got to be really the sheriff of that McDonald's, not a manager. You got to, if you don't control the lobby and you don't control the dining area, you lose control of the whole restaurant. One says, just want to let you know that no matter at what time you come to order food, their ice cream machine is always broke and they always hate when you order food. Oh, wait, wait a second. (laughs) This is the biggest trick. (laughs) That they use employees, and you should know this in Mickey D's. They always have an out-of-order sign on the ice cream (laughs) machine. The machine is not out of order. They just don't want to go through all the ways to prepare the machine before the start of the day. And then you have to take it apart, and you have to hand-clean it at the end of the shift. So the quickest route to these deadbeats who are now getting minimum wage to just stand around. They don't even know how to fold the bag and give it to you. Oh, this one's great. The place looked like an angry mob had attacked the restaurant last night about a half hour before I arrived to get a cup of coffee. The first cup had some weird brown things in it that looked like bits of coffee. Um, I felt like it, it, I would report it to the police, but why bother? This place is plagued by hoodlums at night as well as people fiending for drugs asking to use the restroom. Yeah. And you see, I had a policy. The restroom was always closed. So people would come in and say, man, yo, man, I got to go. I got to go. I said, well, squeeze your legs because you ain't going here. The restroom is busted. And they would say, your restroom is always busted. I say, you're damn right. And then I would tell the crew, don't get sympathetic or empathetic and open up the public laboratory to them. Because you would open it up, a guy would be shooting drugs in there, right? A prostitute would be turning a trick in there. There's no way. I closed all the public bathrooms. I'd say, guess what? If you really got to go, I'll give you a cup. Uh, It's called a a, a customary convenience cup. Go ahead. Go in the corner there. Nobody will look. Do what you got to do. But you ain't got, there's no bathroom you can use. You got to control that restaurant. Yeah, and like you said, there's several people who are citing the same thing, that the signs on machines aren't working consistently. And people are making the meals without without any gloves on, without washing their hands. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Forget hair nets, right? <laughs> guy like Diego's got more hair uh, than, uh, who can we see? Uh, let's see. Uh, Yanni. Remember Yanni, the, the, the entertainer? Uh, you would never have qualified to work for me in McDonald's. I would have told you straight up. Diego, I don't care if you were a member of MS-13, 18th Street. 
The one thing you're going to do if you want to work for me is you got to cut your hair. There's no way you could fit all that hair under a hairnet. <laughs> and then obviously you you had to be constantly washing washing in the back slop sink because a lot of the young men and young women who would come in as part-time work, they weren't clean at all. And then they'd want to be handing out the food to people. People don't want that. And plus they pay outrageous amounts of money for fast food that isn't fast at all and has been laying up there in the bin or the frying uh, dish for quite some time. Yeah, it sounds like the customer service at DMV. That's right, customer service at the Department of Motor Vehicles. Like they're annoyed that you're bothering them when they're coming when they're working. So, I mean, think about it. 45 years later, the McDonald's that I made my bones in, you could actually, you could see it in the documentary I talked about how I kept law and order along with Don Chin in that restaurant. We broke all the McDonald's rules, but everybody, everyone was safe and secure unless you were a thug, unless you were a gangbanger, unless you, uh, you were just uh, a menace to society. I'll never forget, first time I get robbed, these dope fiends come in, they're shaking like a leaf. They got a hair-trigger sort-off shotgun. They bring me to the back where the safe is, and they put it right to the back of my head. And if I didn't hit the tumblers right, you know, left 32, right 28, left 18, and that safe didn't crack open that first time, that's it. That dope fiend was already shaking. It was looking for his next fix. That would have put me into the hereafter. Another time they locked us in the freezer when they robbed the joint, and they left the freezer on. So by the time we were extricated in the morning, we had icicles coming down our nose. And that's when I made the decision. Nobody's coming in here and robbing anymore. You go over the counter, you die. It was a Jose Alba solution, as you saw in the bodega in uh, Harlem. You come over the counter, you die. We had all kinds of weapons over the heaters, the warmers, bats, sticks, pipes. You came over that counter, you were taking your own life into your hands. We'd give you a beatdown. I would hire guys right off of Rikers Island. I'd say, I don't care if you don't know how to cook, you don't know how to do maintenance. When I go over that counter and I have to break up a fight in the lobby or out in the street, you got to have my back. No problem. We got your back. I'll never forget the time I had to take on a hungry Doberman pincher. At that time, Dobies were considered like the, 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 the dogs that terrified everybody. Yeah, my grandmother used to have uh, always have a Doberman. Right. The Doberman came in. And the guy is sitting there with the Doberman pinch, and none of the other customers would come up to the counter. And he wanted food for the Doberman pinch. I said, we don't serve food to dogs here. This is for humans here. He goes, hey, we'll make me leave. And the Dobie is, like, going crazy. He's, like, got it on, you know, a short leash, and he's yanking it. So so I pull a machete from the warmer. I jump over the county, and it was like Samurai Warrior. And then all of a sudden, a guy named Walsh, who was the assemblyman in the area, was walking back from a workout at Fordham University. He calls up the 4-6 precinct, the 5-2 precinct. It's like a, a level three. There's like 100 cops come running in, and they're dragging me out to the precinct and arresting me, machete man. Instead of the guy with the hungry Doberman pincher who was ready to eat up all the customers and me too. And that's how I met the assemblyman in the area, a guy named Walsh, who went on to become a federal judge. 
There are a lot of stories out of that McDonald's. And as we approach now the 45th anniversary of the Guardian Angels, it all started in that Mickey D's that the company has closed in perpetuity because they've said it's impossible to run. That's, I mean, that, that's, uh, I think, more of a sign about the economy because a McDonald's, it's almost like a bank closing in New York City. Like, that never happens. So I'm a, I think that's more of a like a shot at the economy, really. I mean, how in the world does a McDonald's close down in the Bronx? Well, there was one. In the shadow of Wagner College in Staten Island, which is up on the bluff below it is Stapleton. Right next to the projects was Mickey D's that used to get robbed morning, noon, and night until Ray Kroc in Oak Brook, Illinois, went thumbs down like Julius Caesar and said, I don't care that we have a policy that we never close a Mickey D's. Close it and close it now. Over the course of human history... There's been Noah's Ark, savior of mankind, St. Francis of Assisi, foregoing his wealth to be savior of all animals, and Curtis Sliwa, guardian angel and savior of New York City, protecting both man and beast. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents... Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. From bipeds to quadrupeds and everything in between. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. This is traditionally how you hear Nancy Sliwa every Sunday night, 10 to 11, with yours truly. The Animal Welfare Hour, which is dedicated to all issues affecting animals. Uh, whether it's international, national, regional, local, dogs, cats, and other animals. Uh, it will be syndicated nationally in the beginning of the year by our parent, capita, uh, parent company, Red Apple Media, through John Margo Katsimatidis and President uh, Chad Lopez. So we'll be able to broadcast from coast to coast and help that many more animals. Uh, the issue of the day takes us all the way to Vietnam. Has nothing to do with the war that was fought there, or the fact that they now share a philosophy of what I'll call communist capitalism, uh, as both North and South are united. What is the animal welfare story coming out of Vietnam? Well, obviously, we think of cats and dogs as pets and family members, but in Vietnam, their cat meat is um, relatively popular in terms of a dish, and one restaurant has been closed because of the outcry against it that kills up to 300 cats per month to make cat soup, which, again, is a popular dish, sadly. Now, the cats who are used for this, this isn't an overpopulation issue. About a million cats are killed every year for this purpose. Most of them are stolen. So people are losing their pet cats. It's not even like, oh, well, we have an overpopulation issue, and instead of euthanizing them, we're eating them for food. People are about 80% of the population, 87% of the people have had a pet stolen. This is how prevalent this is. And one thing uh, you know about those who've been to Vietnam, I've never traveled to Vietnam, uh, whether the Old South or North or the Merge too. But people who have been there, both those who were born and raised there and have come here or those that served there in wartime, have said they had a proliferation of rats because these are large urban areas, Saigon, Ho Chi Minh City. And so those cats were able to keep down the population of rats. But you're right. They actually use cats 
to uh, serve as a dish. They do that with dogs. They have whole farms where all they do is raise dogs, and then they slaughter them, and they have it as dishes. So it's interesting that we have people here, good-natured, good good animal lovers, who will spend so much money to rescue them from places like China, from places like Vietnam, where those dogs and cats are doomed to end up on some uh, somebody's dinner plate. Yeah, I mean, and again, the, even the restaurant that's selling it, it's not that they're totally lacking compassion in what it is that they're doing. I mean, he's speaking about it from an economic perspective. What we were selling before, it's not enough to feed my family, and sadly, this is what I can get my hands on. So this is the the face of when the economies struggle. People start doing stuff that they know better and they don't even want to be involved with. But thankfully, this place was shut um, right before they were about to drown 20 cats. So those cats were rescued, and now this place won't continue to operate. See how you cringed there, Diego? This is what they do. They drown the cats. Yeah, they hold them down with a stick in the water and drown them. I mean, it's a, it's a horrific way to die as well. Horrific. They do likewise with the dogs there. It's interesting because when they migrate here or immigrate here to America and they see that we don't do that here, they're amazed because immediately they go to try to find their ethnic delights, what they grew up. That was part of their uh, uh, cuisine. It's like when my grandfather, Fidela Bianchino, he used to have pigeon soup and body in Italy. And it came here and say, no, you don't take the pigeons from the street and make a soup out of it. You just don't do that. But that's why you evolve when you come into, into America. The other thing we talk about a great deal on the Animal Welfare Hour And we can't say it enough. If you're going to surrender your cat, your dog, or your your animal to a nearby shelter, especially in New York City, animal care and control, they're never going to tell you the following. If we can't foster out this animal, if we can't adopt out this animal, your animal will be on a kill list. That means at some point, if we can't find a home of its own, we're going to euthanize that animal. We're going to destroy it. I guarantee you, if they were forced to actually have to tell you before you surrender an animal to a shelter, that that might be the final conclusion. So many more people would take the animals back who are like family members, who are like friends, and figure out a way to maintain that animal in their domicile. And and something else to mention, too, I think a lot of um, reasons when people will surrender um, a pet of theirs, it is because of medical issues they can't afford it. And unfortunately, that's exactly the type of animal that won't be showcased to the public. They'll be put on that kill list. And during the time they're there, they won't get the medical treatment that's even really required for them. That's incumbent upon whoever rescues them, whichever group rescues them. So you're thinking, okay, I I have to let my beloved pet out of my hands. At least they'll find a better home. At least I'll get treated. No, no. They'll sit in that cage untreated until maybe some rescue adopts them. So it's not a a place to bring your pet. And if that... They get destroyed. They get euthanized. No, this uh, new project for animal welfare this year, Guardian Angel Animal Welfare, is to try to get some of this empty, massive amount of retail space on the major avenues of Manhattan in which we can put unwanted dogs, unwanted cats in the window. And I guarantee you, people will be walking by 
they'll want to come and adopt those uh, furry little critters. Uh, if not right away, maybe later on in the week. Yeah, take the brown paper off of the windows, open it up, and put some animals there that people can adopt. We already spend millions of dollars, your tax dollars, to kill animals needlessly in the New York City shelter system. There are only three shelters that house animals. One in a place in Staten Island you can't even find. It's microscopic. The other in Linden Boulevard, a dangerous area in East New York. The other in East Harlem. That's going to change this year, and Nancy's going to make sure it changes this year.